0: All right. I'm a little bit frazzled because there's a bit going on. All right, let's do it. Okay. Uh, This week, I've been watching a show called The Good Place. It's really interesting, and I found it really funny. Uh, Just this week, I've already watched most of two seasons of the show. Uh, I've just had it on in the background while I've been doing things around the house, and um, Chrissy's over East at the moment, so I've had a lot more time to kill by myself. So I've been watching this show, and the basic premise of the show is that after you die, there is a good place and a bad place. There is some greater entity that keeps a tally of everything you do in your life, uh, and good things give you a positive score, and bad things give you a negative score. Uh, When you die, there is a, a threshold that you have to achieve, and whether you hit that or not sends you to the good place or the bad place. Um, now, this is revealed in the first few minutes of the show, so I'm not spoiling anything when I say the story centres around this main character called Eleanor, who, despite leading a bad life, ends up in The Good Place by mistake. And so the show becomes about her trying to lie her way through not being found out, um, and the show is a comedy, so it's very funny to watch her stumble through this. She confides in one of the other residents of The Good Place, Uh who is an ethics and philosophy professor and he tries to teach her in secret to be a good person so that she doesn't get found out and she can stay there. And his character becomes involved in this constant wrestle of uh, ethics because he's lying to the other residents of the good place and the people who are in charge of the good place and he hates it because it's wrong and unethical. However, he also sees this little shred of good in Eleanor and so he feels ethically obliged to help her become a better person so that she can remain. It's very funny. It's a great concept and it's done in this really sophisticated way Uh, and it presents this world or this universe where there is a universal objective truth and that ultimately uh, you know if you live up to that then you go to the good place and if you don't you go to the bad place Um, and what you do determines this what you do determines if you're a good person. There's a standard, you have to meet it. And many people do, but it's black and white, you're in or you're out. Except for Eleanor, who's meant to be out, but she's in. Uh, and as the show continues, centering around this bad person, Eleanor, and the ethics and philosophy professor, the black and white lines start to become blurred into grey as they explore the morals of the situations they get themselves into. So. Uh, The show does a great job of introducing new ethical views and stances and conundrums from renowned philosophers and theologians like Aristotle, Immanuel Kant, Soren Kierkegaard and uh, uses the antics of the show to explore them. We love a good black and white picture in life. Uh, We love black and white philosophies because they're easy and they bring security. Black and white means I know the outcome. Uh, black and white means I know who's good and bad and who's deserving and who's undeserving Uh, and black and white means if I've done a good thing I can feel secure because I know I'm good I deserve the love and the praise that I get and I can feel comfortable in my good life with my good house and my good friends and in the same way if I've done the wrong thing I can find security in knowing that that is bad, and I can build an identity around being bad. You know, maybe I'm rude to people, I push them away. Uh, I don't care about the world or taking responsibility for anything but my own well-being. Yeah, I can do that. Keeping people at arm's length and living for myself and only myself means I don't have to take the risk of opening up and trusting someone. So there's security in that too. The whole premise... If the good place is that where you go is determined by what you do. That is works-based. As we learned last week, uh, this is exactly the kind of misconception that the residents of Galatia had fallen into since Paul had left them. Paul preaches to them for the first time. Uh, They say, yep, this is great. We love the gospel. Uh, And then Paul leaves and in his absence, a group of Judaizers come along and say, hey, the only way to get saved is to be circumcised. There is something that you have to do. No wonder Paul is so angry throughout Galatians. And I really enjoy how angry Paul is. Uh, He doesn't pull any punches, and I I think it's exciting to read. In the first five verses of uh, chapter 1, he says, Hi, everyone, I'm Paul. I'm saved by Jesus. He saved you too on the cross. Okay, that's the greetings out of the way. And then straight away he goes into I am astonished at how quickly you deserted the gospel for a different one, which is really no gospel at all. People are trying to throw you into confusion and you're falling for it. You're idiots. And Paul is really bold all throughout this book. Uh, Getting to uh, verses 11 and 12, um, Paul says, The gospel I preach, this is the real one. It's not from human origins. I got it straight from Jesus Christ himself. That's a big statement. That's a bold statement. He's telling them that when he preached to them, it was the words of God coming from his mouth. The implication then being, you know, and you dared to start listening to these other people who are trying to teach you things that fly in the face of what I taught, that Jesus Christ himself revealed to me? Alex spoke about this last week. There is only one gospel. Everything else is false. In the good place, uh, the show, the universal truth is that there are good actions and bad actions. And in the end, there's a good place and bad place. This is not the case with Jesus and Christianity. In Christianity, there is ultimately one thing, one black and white thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace. The black and white is that it doesn't matter what our points tally is, up to when we die, what matters is, have we put our faith in Jesus Christ? Uh, Now, granted, most people here may have heard that before, um, that what matters is that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. There's this quote that is attributed to Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a German theologian, priest, and professor who lived from 1483 to 1546 uh, and he was one of the people that really sparked the reformation that took place in the year 1517. So this church member goes up to Martin Luther after a service and says, why do you preach the gospel every week? And he responds, because every week you forget it. Another version of this replaces the word gospel with grace. Why do you preach grace every week? Because every week you forget it. I think that's A good substitution, too, because the gospel is a gospel of grace. In my searchings to find the origins of this quote, uh, it seems he didn't really say this, but it was kind of a morphing and an evolution uh, of a commentary, of a line from a commentary that Luther wrote on the book of Galatians, uh, in which he said basically the essence of that quote. Uh, And I'll read some of that commentary on Galatians out, but I'll paraphrase it because the language is a bit ye oldie. So, this is Luther on Galatians. The law is divine and holy. Let the law have glory. Yet no law, no matter how divine and holy, ought to teach me that I am justified and shall live through the law. It may teach me that I ought to love God and neighbour, to live in chastity, soberness, patience, etc., but it ought not to show me how I should be delivered from sin, death, and hell. In this, I take counsel from the gospel. I hearken to the gospel, which teaches me not what I ought to do, that is the place of the law, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel wills me to receive and to believe this. That is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, where the knowledge of all godliness consists. And I like this last line, and I won't paraphrase it. Luther says, Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continuously. (laughs) So why do you preach the gospel every week? Because every week you forget it. No wonder Paul was furious when he wrote this letter to the Galatians. In the next couple of verses, we get some insight into the kind of personality that Paul is. Uh, He's a a type A personality, or maybe a number one on the Enneagram. There are all kinds of personality tests and profiles, but Paul is kind of the go-getter, the leader, the outspoken type. Verses 13 and 14 say, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Even before his revelation from Jesus, Paul was out there getting his job done with zeal uh, just for the wrong team. He was climbing the ladder rapidly and making sure that justice was done. This is again a really bold thing to say to a bunch of people you're trying to convince that what you're saying is the truth. Uh, Don't you remember that time I killed a bunch of Christians? Now listen to me about the gospel of Jesus. Might work for some people, probably pretty alienating for a lot of others. Paul is bold, but he's not boasting in himself. Verses 15 and 16 say, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Paul is boasting because he knows that the revelation that he has been given and the gospel that he has spoken has everything to do with God and his grace. As Luther said, I hearken to the gospel, which teaches me not what I ought to do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. Jesus is the one that is doing all the work. Paul is bold, be- uh, Paul is bold because he knows the truth. He knows that black and white bit, and he wants these Galatians to understand. Uh, can't you see that God has done everything for me? Me, who is killing Christians. Why are you trying to earn his approval? It's a gospel of grace. It's God who will reveal himself in you. You can't, you know, earn your way to this revelation. And he, he didn't have this revealed to him and consult anyone uh, to prove his point. He goes on further in verse 17. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. He was so sure of the promise of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work in him. He didn't even go and talk to the people who had been doing this Christian thing from the start. Uh, Paul didn't talk to the disciples about it. He didn't go and seek those who were present at Pentecost. Paul just knew it and he went with it. And these Galatians have forgotten it. The reality is, it's really hard to be as bold and as confident as Paul. Paul was an exceptional person. Not without his flaws, but this was something he was really good at. I was having a conversation uh, with someone a while ago, and we were talking about basically the struggle to live well in daily life. And this person, he said, you know, when I'm abiding in God, I live well. When I remember that I belong in him, things come easy. I don't get upset with people. I'm content I love people, but when I forget, I live out of the flesh. I don't live out of my spirit, uh, or out of God's spirit, and I keep doing these things that I just don't want to do. Every morning I get up and remind myself that I live in God, that I live in the spirit, but by the end of the day, I get busy, and it gets hard. We talked about this for a while, and after a while I just said to him, so, do you ever remind yourself... That you live in god throughout the day not when you just first wake up and he sat back and said "Uh, no why do you preach the gospel every week because every week you forget it every day we forget it in the good place as the show goes on they start to muddy the waters about what is good and what is bad is a good thing done for a self-serving motivation still a good thing Is a bad thing done for a good reason still a bad thing? In one episode, they explore this ethical conundrum known as the trolley problem. Uh, Now, if you don't know what this is, there's a trolley or a tram, really, that is careening down its track and the brakes have failed. It's coming to a fork in the tracks. Now, the tram is on track to go straight ahead and run over five people who are stuck on the track. However, you happen to be close enough to the lever that you could change the tracks and send it the other way. The problem is, there is one person stuck on the other track. So your dilemma is, if I do nothing, this tram hits five people. But I could do something and save these people, but I'd be actively participating in causing the tram to hit the other one. That's the simple version. Then, of course, you can add more factors. Who are the people on the tracks? Do I know any of them? How old are they? How important are they? Uh, What makes someone important? I don't want to get lost in this problem but the point is in the world of this show where there's meant to be this black and white all this gray starts to creep in Uh, and again the truth in our world is that Jesus Christ has died for us on the cross and he asks us to place our faith in him to be saved and nothing we can ever do can earn his salvation that's the black and white but we know there is a whole lot of gray in our world and murkiness and stuff that's just really hard to deal with and to know what to do with. What we want is the black and white rule book. If this happens, give this response. Uh, Luther said in his commentary that the place of the law is is to teach us what we ought to do. But even that is limited. The law, uh, our Bible, it does not account for every situation that we will come across. But it does speak into everything that we will come across. I really like the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is filled with a bunch of these pretty black and white sayings about how we should live and what we should do uh, and what it takes to live a life that honours God and the people around us. Proverbs contains things like, from 19.1, Better the poor whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. Be blameless, don't be perverse. Very straightforward. Proverbs 22, verses 8 and 9. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Well, you reap what you sow. Uh, Injustice reaps calamity. Generosity reaps blessing. But this is not always the case. In real life, there are evil people that prosper, and there are good people who suffer. That's a whole lot of grey to throw into a very black and white statement. So what on earth are we supposed to do with that? Is the Bible wrong? Because the Proverbs are very much about here and now, not just happened after this life. So did Proverbs get it wrong? In the very first proverb, the first few verses introduce the whole purpose of this collection of Proverbs. Verses 1 and 2 says... Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction. There is some instruction to be gained, yes. Sometimes there are clear answers to problems that we may face. But what this is really about is wisdom. Wisdom means character. Wisdom means that you don't have the answer, but that you have the ability to discern what is right in that situation, despite the murkiness and the messiness, and all the ethical and moral implications of the situation you're in. This is a hard thing to do. This takes practice. We have to work on our character. We need to do things like read our Bible, talk to people, pray about our lives, pray about the situations we're in. Proverbs is a great place to start if you want to think about what good character looks like. Proverbs also says this, in four, uh, chap- uh, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What is in our hearts? Is it wisdom? Is it good character? Is it love? Is it the promise, as Paul preached about to the Galatians, that there is one true gospel, and that is a gospel of grace for everyone, And if it is, what are the kinds of things that will flow from you? What kind of an impact does a life founded on grace look like? I bet it's good. In verse 20, Paul says, I assure you that what I am writing to you is no lie. This is it, people of Galatia. This is the gospel. This is the truth. This is the black and the white. This is what you need. Everything else is messy, but this is the truth that you can hold on to, that Jesus died on the cross and he has given us salvation. So why do we keep preaching the gospel of grace? Because it's the only thing we really need. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for a gospel that is true. Thank you that you sent your Son to come and give us salvation, that it's not something that we have to earn, that it's not even something that we can earn, but that it is given to us when we place our faith in you and your Son. And Lord, we just acknowledge that despite the the few black and white things that we can try to hold on to in life, the few black and white things that are clear and certain that there is so much grey in this world, and it pushes us into uncomfortable and unwanted situations. So Lord, help us in those places to be people of character, to be people of wisdom, and to be people who have founded our lives on the grace of Jesus, so that we can discern what it means to live well, and to live in a way that honours and glorifies you. Amen.